Uh, my name's Tamson and my pronouns are she and her. Um, it's lovely to be here with you today. It's a beautiful day outside. Um, it's lovely to get here. It's lovely to escape my home sometimes as well. <laughs> um, we are in Lent. We are right in the middle of um, our Lenten period um, in the Christian calendar and it's, it's kind of a really nice time that um, we just get to tell, tell the truth um, that life can be very beautiful and life can also be incredibly hard and we live in this cycle continually um, and yeah, this path of descent and death and rebirth as we follow the story of Jesus is just a nice place to come back to each year. Um, it's kind of last week we had a little look at grief and someone said, oh, it's a bit of a heavy time to look at grief. Um, and yes, yes, it may indeed be a heavy time to look at grief, um, but is there ever a better time to look at grief. I'm, I'm not sure if that is the case. Um, yeah, there's just grief in our midst at all points in our year and the church calendar sort of holds it here and I think that's, that's helpful. Um, it can be a time of an exhale and some relief at holding it all together to just say that life is hard, loose ends are not neatly tied together um, and sometimes it's unbearable and sometimes it's just sad and sometimes it's just hummingly sad. Um, you can't even put your finger on it. What is so sad? Just things are sad. Um, and my, my personality is perhaps on the end of I like to enjoy this lovely half of the spectrum of feelings a bit more. Um, I enjoy joy um, and I err on sort of either getting to live in this, this half or kind of numbing out. So then I'm questioning why I feel so emotionally numb. Um, but given I've cut off half of the emotional spectrum is perhaps why I feel so numb as, uh, half the time. So I do welcome containers and safe places of grief and sadness, um, not just to feel sad, but just to feel alive um, for me. I think I was listening to a podcast and um, N.T. Wright was just saying that kind of apathy is just rife um, and sometimes that's just we can't access our full humanity um, and so finding a meaningful community um, that just allow full humanity, some breathing room, being unmasked and unedited, I welcome that. Um, yeah. Last week um, Shane spoke about nuanced grief. Um, this is the the grief that is in so as varied as you have experiences. It is the, the death of someone you dearly love. It's the difficulty of parenting. Uh, it is sometimes the desire to be a parent. Sadness around friendships lost and coming. Um, the cost of caring for one another. Um, it's sometimes it's just the loss of small things in your home or just these kind of a million different sort of types of, of sadness um, that hit us. Um, I don't know why we, we don't sort of talk about the nuances of grief so often. I think I was thinking about, do you remember like, must, I don't know, I always think everything churchy is perhaps in the 90s, but do you remember sort of when testimonies were really big? Where you, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry I just gave someone sort of a body memory. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. You know, someone would get up and share 
their big story of how terrible life was and how God came through. And it's, it was quite a common thing. I'm, sh- I'm sure I did it myself at some point. Um, and, and the problem with these, these testimonies would just be they were always huge, you know. I was in a Chinese prison and God came through or, you know, these kind of huge dips and then these huge resurfaces and here I live right here. Um, but it just isn't that neat. You know, that's the problem with that is the stories of grief are small. There's little deaths every day. Um, there are big deaths that take a lifetime to, to keep working through and cycling through. Um, and it just doesn't kind of honour the full spectrum of little deaths and big deaths um, and it just com- somehow compares them or you sort of have to suppress the little ones because someone beside you is in a big one um, but that denies you your little one um, and so it's not kind of a full story of our full humanity. I'm just going to start with this. Um, I really love the songs this morning, Rod. They were particularly beautiful. Um, this statue is uh, its called Jesus Wept. Um, and we've been talking about the story of Lazarus, um, a really weird and strange old story. But um, in it, there's a point where um, Mary comes to Jesus um, and kneels at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is a big thing to say. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and was deeply moved. And, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And this image is kind of looking through the Gospels, it's kind of hard to see moments of this raw emotional presence of Jesus, to be honest. There's lots of teaching There's lots of stories, there's lots of parables, but this kind of raw, honest kind of Jesus almost catching himself off guard by uh, emotion. And in this picture, um, there's this kind of, oh, this solidarity of kind of that intake of something has overwhelmed me with sadness. Um, And I find this statue kind of interesting. Um, It's actually lives in... um, in Oklahoma, um, at a site of one of the Oklahoma bombings, um, this is where there was, I think, a manse part of a church was was destroyed, um, and they chose this image as the image that would be fitting for such an event. Um, and in the midst of that is a weeping Christ, who just weeps. Um, it's different to the sort of resurrected, hopeful, all is well, but it's just presence within the grief there is Christ weeping um, just present and you know I thought it was a poignant sort of statue of of hope Um, the hope is is kind of quite nuanced which we'll get to but um, the image of Christ in the midst of all this despair um, and in a gosh in a world today where there is despair everywhere um, there's a, t- a podcast, you might have heard us, um, have, have you heard of the, the lady Kate Bowler? So I pronounced it right, Roger? Kate Bowler, I'll call her Kate Bowler. Anyone heard of Kate Bowler? Um, 
Yep, got a, got a hand, got a hand. Um, so Kate Bowler is a professor of Duke University um, and has a podcast called Everything Happens. Um, and interestingly, she spent her 20s studying the prosperity gospel in the States. Like, what fun, what a way to spend, find your PhD in the prosperity gospel um, and kind of the history of it and how people live with the kind of live with that is their only narrative. So she wrote a book about it. And then at 35... Um, cancer struck, stage four cancer struck, kind of completely derailed her life, um, her kind of picture of where she was going, how her health, what her body was doing. Um, and in the podcast, um, she just talks about how just the shit hitting the fan um, and just this kind of letting go of one narrative and just the slow work of what the next narrative might be. Um, but it's the slow, slow work and how people didn't handle her grief at all. People, many people just could not sit with the situation and the lack of hope and Christians being perhaps the worst culprits who just all needed their own little story for themselves to sort of help her but really kind of helping themselves. Um, and she kind of has all these guests. Like it's worth listening because it's kind of – she has – Fame, you know, Malcolm uh, Gladwell, all these people that she gets to come and speak about their stories of grief and what kind of how they encountered it, what it looked like, and what paths, how where sort of the light flickers came through. Um, and it's a it's becoming a bigger and bigger podcast, which is sort of I think telling of we don't perhaps have many spaces of grief um, or many just stories of grief. Um, and she's really comfortable in it. For her, she says, I love Lent. It's just I get to sh- – this is my time to shine as the, the token sort of leader of the losing size. So she's very comfortable in that. So, and I think that's um, – yeah, it's just very rare to find these little corners where sadness is, is not to be afraid of. It is just part of the story, and that's okay. Um, like I said, the church uh, – I don't know about yourselves, um, but uh, – the church often doesn't handle sadness or grief or just the story not working out. Um, still remember the we had prophets who would come to our church, you know, and we'd, you'd kind of go up to them like, please, please give me a prophecy, and it was so great. And, and this one, I've told you before, this one guy said, I never say this, but I think you're going to find your husband in the next four months. So let, let's pray that into let's pray that into into action, you know. Um, and I was like 23, and and I, was, anyway, so he he didn't come in the for me. Like it was just this kind of, but this sort of, you know, I was single, and that was his response was to give me this great word of of hope that did not eventuate, and gave me no no tools on what to do when that did not. I think I just thought, oh gosh, you know. Who wants a partner of 23? Anyway, no, actually, I think I wanted to be married with a couple of kids by then because the church said that was that was perhaps the great path that I should be expecting. Um, but um, the church can be, yeah, unsafe for grief. Um, there's a term called spiritual bypassing and it's this tendency to use spiritual ideas or practices or out-of-context Bible verses to sidestep or avoid facing deep grief or just complex emotional issues, or psychological wounds, or the long inner work of healthy development. It bypasses the long, deep journey through the ashes for a neater, more straightforward, glossier version. This is the God is in control narrative that, we, that Shane touched on a few weeks ago. God somehow ordains or permits such awful things for our growth 
um, and, our dis- and it permits this disappointment for our growth um, and it sort of points us to the perfection of heaven um, and it's this kind of vapid optimism sometimes even hides a fear that we can't sit alongside grief very well. Um, partly we don't want to feel the depth of it um, but that we, we can't handle the anxiety of it so we sort of create these sort of God narratives around, well, you know, I don't know if anyone has encountered bypassing of their grief where you, you just weren't allowed, you know, it's sort of, well, let's pray something else into action. Let's just speak, manifest this husband into being. I think that's perhaps what his words were. Um, has anyone encountered any bypassing where you weren't allowed? Anyone want to share a... Oh, yeah, yes, sir. Thanks. Um, yeah, a couple of weeks after my... or three weeks after my dad died um, and I got out of hotel quarantine and I went to my parents' house and one night I was reflecting... Um, so this isn't a church experience, this is a personal experience, but I said to my mum, oh, gee, I miss dad... And she was like, oh, and she freaked out. She's like, oh, uh, you know, don't be sad, be grateful. Um, and uh, oh, think of your cousin, he lost his dad when he was eight and you had your dad for so long and it was just like this total shutdown of, um, yeah, like being able to <laughs> grief. So I hadn't had a church experience, but yeah, plenty of people around me were responding in a similar way. Mm. Just feel the anxiety and probably her own grief in that, you know, there's just no no room for the sadness. Um, yeah. Positive and grateful. I always just think back to Kunat, like was it that Christian bookshop, the Kurong um, posters, you know, with a that you'd plaster everywhere telling you how to how to be hope grateful for what God has given you. Um, anyone else? Yeah. think on the opposite side of the um, praying your husband into existence there's a big thing around if you get to a certain age and you aren't married or you're single and you want to be that that that's a really negative thing and the grief of maybe saying I might not be able to have children or I might not get married in a period that I wanted to there's almost this like oh gosh we don't know what to do with that that's a big thing and we can't fix it and so we have to tell you to feel better about it so you know, you'll find a husband when you stop looking and, you know, you will have children because I knew of this one person who had a child at 45 and it will definitely happen for you. And I think there's a lot of um, sort of minimising of that ability to say, I'm sad that that might not happen to me and I'm, I'm sad that it hasn't happened, but I'm not allowed to be. I have to just be positive and be happy as I am. Um, and I think a lot of people deal with that and it's not recognised as much. Yeah. really well said it's yeah again that anxiety of the narrative there's this one narrative and if it hasn't it doesn't I have no capacity to handle that narrative not coming to pass hey thanks Jane very similarly had a lot of um, experiences like that where um, churches some churches are mean to actively close down their singles group because they didn't want to shame people who were still single and um, the cure for um, not having kids is we'll put you in a you know a, a life group Bible study group with people that have kids and then you can share that experience and that was the solution 
gosh, I did mean for everyone to just relive such traumatic, traumatic things this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Our little snowball. There was a bit of an amening over here. Oh, you're probably stretching. It's it's probably not quite on the same level as um, yeah what other people have said, but yeah, I just remember one time finding myself at the end of a, a church service where I'd basically gone because um, I just uh, experienced one of the lowest points of my life, and I'd sort of you know like had like one last gasp effort to make things right and it just all completely went up in flames and I was just like I can't go home I'm just melting down here and I'm just sitting in church and someone came up to me and just sort of said ah you're winning (laughs) I just looked at him and shook my head and said I lost and he said ah you're never losing God (laughs) I'm just sitting in my seat quietly melting down like it was about five minutes after that I literally just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed in the in the chest of someone else like I was not winning. Kind of very embodied gasp from the room there. (laughs) Before we all relive such really, really heavy and very very violating of your right to grief, it really violates something... um, and off, and in not coming from a violate, not people not wanting. I'm sure, Mr. Winning Team over there, not wanting to hurt you, but not actually realizing what was the sort of that that denial of where you were actually at. Um, but yeah, we there's this sort of idea that um, I I think Lent takes us through is that there's this pattern. That, um, that we go through, and it's, it's called a, a cruciform pattern, this pattern of this death and renewal um, that I remember sort of hearing about. And I'm going, oh, that, that's very, very, I don't know, like, I think I liked, some part of me really likes the Jesus that, that doesn't have the sort of death part of the death and renewal. I sort of, there's still part of me that would love the renewal part that just, continually it's Jesus wins and we have been born Jesus took all the suffering so that we do not have to encounter it I think I was sold that story um, and we would bypass it because Jesus actually went that went into descent for us and kind of re-looking at this this sort of narrative of this pattern Richard Raw is a goodie that speaks into this area and um, talks about all great spirituality is about what we do with our pain Creation has a pattern of wisdom and we dare not shield ourselves from it or we literally lose our soul. We can obey commandments, believe doctrines, attend church services all our lives and still daily lose our souls if we run from the necessary cycle of loss and renewal. Death and resurrection are lived out at every level of the cosmos but the only species that thinks it can avoid it is the human species. In the deep and mysterious ways that become the very matrix of life and especially new creative life, only suffering and certain kinds of awe can lead us into genuinely new experiences. This... I don't know if I like this, but I kind of like this. So can I, leave it? Can I say it like that? <laughs> Um, so this kind of shape of reality, kind of loss precedes all renewal. 
Emptiness makes way for every new filling. Every transformation in the universe requires, re- requires the surrendering of a previous form. Now, this paragraph sort of stunned me, I think. This is the fully resurrected life. The only way to be happy, free, loving and therefore saved. In effect, Jesus was saying, if I can trust it, you can too. We are indeed saved by the cross more than we realise. The people who hold to the contradictions and resolve them in themselves are the saviours of the world. They are the only real agents of transformation, reconciliation and newness. This kind of has that cruciform pattern of Christ having not taken the journey of descent away, but having sort of this this strange hope of it is it is not a descent into despair and nothingness is kind of the message of this kind of like where's the good news in this descent narrative of this cruciform pattern, but it's that the descent is not the end. Um, and that death is not despair. Um, as I say, it's not quite reassuring, but it kind of is reassuring. <laughs> like this, this creative reforming on the other side of all these little deaths and big deaths in our lives. But the problem between the that is ho- kind of this hopeful gap that we live in, where in the in between, um, that there's this hope for a certain life. Um, that, but it often doesn't come to pass and then there's this depth and then on the other side is another type of hope that completely looks different. Um, and I think hope is one of the most tricky things to talk about. I think if I was to hear someone's situation and I tried to offer a, a message of hope, that's an incredibly difficult thing for me to do and perhaps not necessary because I do not know what the hope on the other side of your f- of of your death looks like. I just think it will look like what as textured as grief is, then as nuanced and textured as hope is. It just, but it means we, but we still need hope, otherwise this all just feels too heavy. Um, yeah, hope is often birthed right in the midst of suffering and just must withstand disappointment. But it lives layers and layers beneath optimism and it's much grittier and ashier. I think the story at the end of Luke's gospel, when a few days after Jesus' death, a couple of his disciples were working down the, walking down the road to Emmaus, trying to make sense of what just happened in Jerusalem. I imagine them grief-stricken. The triumphal entry to Palm Sunday, the supper, the betrayal, Jesus' arrest and trial, the horror, absolute horror of the, the crucifixion. And as they were discussing and trying to process this, a stranger walks up and asks, what are you talking about? They didn't recognise him, so they told the story of Jesus' life, ministry and death. And then they say, we had hoped. We had hoped. And in that moment, they are past that hope. It has been shattered. And then they recognise Jesus as if they see anew. They could have never imagined that this was actually the story of hope. A hope beyond the hope that they had and the hope that had made sense in the middle. There is now another hope and another story that has emerged in this very person in front of them. This is why talking about it must always respect that the hope offers a reimagined future and that 
that can only emerge on the other side of something. Um, and it is not up to us to decide what it is for one another. Um, so that, where does that leave us? Maybe it's a bit more embodied that we carry this second hope in our bones and in our being. And the beauty of not having to do this on our own is that uh, when we have no hope or cannot imagine this next hope, we have one another who hold hope for us in the motel in the right way though. Um, when Kate Bowler was right in the midst of cancer, she spoke of being carried by a hum around her when all she felt was absence and silence and anger at the absence and silence. Um, what was that? That was, sorry. At a time when I should have felt abandoned by God, I was not reduced to ashes. I felt like I was floating, floating on the love and the prayers of those who hummed around me like worker bees, bringing notes and flowers and warm socks and quilts embroidered with words of encouragement. They came in like priests and mirrored back to me the face of Jesus. And I wonder sometimes when we're in the midst of our grief, um, when have people held hope in a way that hasn't violated us? Um, and it's, uh, I keep thinking, I'm like, oh, hope kind of gets smaller the more I look at it. Like it's sort of, if you're trying to help someone, you should say less um, because there's, some, there's sort of power in just alongsiding rather than fixing or resolving or word fixing. Um, the actual witness and presence just to witness someone and to say, you are sad. I, you are incredibly sad and that's, that's hard. That, that just to be seen is often what we're after um, rather than saying, but, you know, that it's not actually needed. Um, so the power of a witness of one another. Um, now what I'm, I'm curious about today is perhaps for us to have a little moment to reflect on how has someone held hope for you in a way that has been helpful? How has someone held hope for you in a way that has been helpful? And maybe if you want to grab your, there's a post-it note somewhere. I've got plenty here and there's pens. Maybe if you want to just write it down. How has someone held hope for you? Um, in any type of grief or sadness, they might have never known that they were hopeful in that moment. Um, but if you want to write it down and you don't have to share it, but just for your own brain, just to, to think through when has help, hope kind of come? And in a moment we might, maybe after when we come to communion, we might put it on our, our communal table. We can share that if you'd like to share that, um, just to see each other's who has been help, hope for you. Um, would anyone like to, to share how hope has manifested in someone around you? I wanted to pick up on something you said about how you, sometimes hope gets smaller and smaller when you start to think about it. And I think sometimes it's not other people who give you hope. Sometimes the hope comes from within yourself. But if you can't um, feel your grief, you can't move through it towards hope. And sometimes people who are trying to offer hope are blocking your process of moving through the grief. And so... I was thinking, you know, sometimes the thing that helps helps you to feel hopeful are the people who sit with you and acknowledge that your hope is gone and say, 
maybe that won't happen, maybe this is the end, maybe this is the bottom and sit with you and then let you move through it rather than trying to pull you out before you've moved through too quickly. Mm. That just feels ever so important to do our own work because we can't do that for one another unless you've been through your own grief process that you just can't offer that usually without having it counted yourself. Anyone else? Thanks, Jane. This is possibly a little bit the flip side of what I spoke about earlier, um, and it took place several months later. So, obviously, after that that time, I was in a world of you know, you know, grief for, for several months, but. Um, at the time, I was at a Pentecostal church where they have, you know, the prayer lines most nights. And after several months, one night I found myself up the front with one of them. And I, I have no idea what the prompt was or anything like that. All I remember is that there was two, two, um, two of my male friends uh, praying for me. And something, I, I think all of a sudden they just, I guess, they, they saw my grief and... And one of them just said, basically, I see your grief, I see your hurt, and God sees your hurt. And I just broke down and wept, and he and the, basically the three of us were just standing and holding onto each other and just weeping and weeping and weeping for a good 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and that was a, a really memorable moment of, of a turning point in that process. And I remember driving home that night and just it just felt like I was seeing light for the first time, like just street lights, headlights, any sort of light. It just felt like for the first time in three months I was seeing light just because someone had seen my grief and, and, and expressed it with me. Um, most of us here will remember Meryl Blair who comes and speaks to us occasionally, but I remember her talking about the Book of Lamentations and how it's just such a gut-wrenching book and yet she said the very fact of being able to put grief into words, into a, a form, is part of the movement towards hope and it certainly for me the hope that people have often offered to me in my grief is just giving me the chance to to tell my story and to start putting my grief into a form so that I've got something then to deal with. Um, and, yeah, I just think those are things that we, like like what Alan's saying, those, and Jane, those things that we underestimate as offering hope, just seeing someone, just letting them weep, just letting them tell their story is actually offering them hope. Mm. Thank you. I think just to add to what you were just saying, Rod, I think one of the most beautiful things in my life of people holding hope for me has been people um, in the sort of long-term telling of your story has been reflecting me back to myself. I'm sort of terrible at remembering the, the relevant details of my life. And so someone going, no, actually, that's not true. Like, this has been something for you. Um, has really helped, yeah, I guess catalyze something for me in my in my world. Um, yeah, so having spaces and people who not only um, 
are open to you sharing your story but are um, keepers of that story and become mirrors of you. Um, I just wanted to respond to that because that was like, whoa, for me. <laughs> I was just like realising, I don't think I recognised that as a form of like holding grief until you said that, but that when people hold grief for you and then later, like years down the track, be like, do you remember when you felt so hopeless and now you're here and look at how far you've come? And that like people as like holding spaces for yeah grief in the moment but also years later being able to tell you like you got through that and I see you now in a different space thank you Percy sometimes um when I'm like getting in touch with grief that is chronic like doesn't seem to shift I can get very angry and it can be like hatred or resentments or even like apathy where I disconnect from it. And I've found that some of the greatest times for me is when people have been able to sit with my anger because anger is often denied. Like you're not allowed to be angry, you're not allowed to act out anger. Um, and so a, a, an act of hope is, is, is people sitting with my anger to allow me to be angry, discharge it and then collapse into the grief which has been suppressed, and so then that comes even stronger, and then then can get to the potential light at the end of the tunnel. But but it's a journey, and there's no shortcut. Um, and I think in today's world, there's there's often a, a stronger suppression on anger. But and I think that's misplaced because we have to get our anger out because it's a secondary emotion before we get to our um, our grief. So. Yeah, that's kind of how this this sort of term, the, this pattern, this cruciform pattern, how necessary this path of descent is. And there's a million ways we, we can avoid it in ourselves or for one another. We can deny them one another. Um, I'm sure there's more stories in the room and I don't want to deny anyone this, but if you want to put your story down here on your, your post-it afterwards, there's an option again. But sort of um, Annika, both Annika and Percy sort of... Uh, sort of recognise that sometimes we hold in our very body our own um, stories of this pattern and we have we are currently living a reimagined hope of, a, of one of our stories, um, that you will have had an experience of despair and you will be living in something new already. Uh, your life is probably, I'm guessing, not quite like you pictured it would be, and but you're living a new part of it already. So this cycle has happened before in you, and you're bearing witness that it was there was a renewed something. There is, I know for me as a sort of at one point, I did expect I would become a dancer. It just wasn't going to happen. But there was a death of the dream. There was an acknowledged. It was a very painful, long death of that dream. And kind of what's have emerged as a, you know, in my teaching, is is a ground is more real to me than perhaps if I tried to be a dancer. As a, the teaching place that I live in now is more real and more sustainable and more life giving to myself and maybe to others. Um, and that's just something I bear witness to in myself. And that you will have had, you will be bearing witness already to something in your own life. 
because these cycles continue that sort of pattern, that cruciform pattern we've encountered and we will encounter again. Um, and we are part of sort of this creative rebirthing at all points. Um, Yeah, I think we bear witness to our own journeys of suffering and we are bear witness to sort of the reforming and what that looks like. And we will again. Um, they're never permanent, um, but they always leave an imprint. Um, you, you think of the image of the resurrected Christ with nail-pierced hands. You know, there's, that was not a, you know, there's this imprint of the descent is left, um, which perhaps is for us also. Um, and, and, and we might, you know, there's sort of so many other ways kind of hope can be given. Sometimes it's in kind of laughing at the pain, not at each other, but at, at the absurdity of this all. And that can be incredibly, I think, I'm not sure if Rod will touch a bit more on that next week of how we challenge fear and fight sort of loneliness and find courage just to do this again and again. And how is this good news? And we find this rebirth. I hope this hasn't been too heavy for us today. <laughs> It feels, it feels heavy. It's the heavy and necessary work of, of being a human being. Um, and being a human being, the last thing we want to do is to disenfranchise hope where it isn't allowed or denied. Um, but I hope that we learn to be good holders of one another, um, that we do the work for the sake of ourselves and we do the work for the sake of sitting with someone else in their grief or their anger. It is never wasted in community. This is sort of the beauty of doing community. Um, and you'll often never know how hopeful you were to someone. You don't even know what you did, you know. Um, I caught up with someone for, for a walk this week and cried afterwards because I was just incredibly lonely and I didn't, and it had been humming for a bit, just sort of my friend loneliness and this sort of helped that person helped fight that for me I didn't even know I was lonely until I met up and something was filled and and these kind of cycles of we are hope without knowing that we are hope sometimes um, together so Lent is a nice sneak period after 40 days we'll be celebrating Resurrection Sunday and we see Christ resurrected and reimagined and able to and embodying this process as renewal but we know that this is not anything but neat or tidy, but it is more secular. Um, but as we share our story, as we're able to hold for one another, we sort of refuse despair. We honour the cruciform pattern. We see, you know, that just that image of Christ, you know, standing weeping is, it somehow is hopeful because it is acknowledging this pattern and this promise and this pattern and this promise again. Um, and we are the people of this pattern and this promise and this pattern and we get to witness the rebirthing again and again and that's why we're here, you know, that we, we can hold that and we look forward to that and we celebrate it in song and we despair in song and we do all these things because of this pattern. So we're going to come to a time of communion now um, where we get to participate in that cycle once again. Um, and I encourage you, if you've got a post-it note that you want to put down on the table around communion, um, we'll take communion, if you'd like, and stand in a large circle. And afterwards you can share of how hope has manifested in people's lives around you. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm honoured that I get to live in a, a community that is not denying me my grief um, but, you know, that celebrates in my rebirth at the same time as we all will for one another. 
So let's come together for communion. Please feel free to take a cracker, seaweed today, and a cup, um, and place any post-its on the table if you'd like to share how hope has been seen. Um, and then we'll stand in a large circle. Around